I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome back, everyone, to the Playing Footsie podcast. Uh, each week, we get together, me, Steve D, and Steve W, and sometimes a spare guest, but we haven't got one this week, uh, to discuss the week in stocks. We talk about all things stocktacular. Uh, this week, we've got uh, a couple of things to go on. We wanted to talk about a bit of REITs. Steve D's got some really murky mysterious kind of thing he wants to talk about which he's, which he's not letting us in on and of course uh, everyone's talking about the fed news so we better just give our opinion on it right and uh discuss what's going on but first of all guys how are you doing this week because i haven't seen you for a week and um how's how's this, how's the stocks doing stocks have done all right actually paul my portfolio is just up very slightly it's been quite a volatile week lots of sharp movements in various directions but the majority of my uh, portfolio's done fairly well. I'm not too heavily uh, exposed to some of the stuff that got hit a little bit hard yesterday uh, on the Wednesday on the Fed news that we'll come back to in a moment, but it's been generally uh, a fairly strong um, sort of week. I took a little bit of a hit there. Uh, one thing uh, outside of the stock stuff, I should say thank you very much to everyone who left very nice comments on our last um, video for me. Uh, I appreciate that very much. Normally I would insert some sort of joke here, but I actually mean quite seriously thank you. That was very kind and it's very greatly appreciated got some jokes later in the podcast i'll point them out in case you miss them uh but um thank you all very much for the uh, stuff that you <laughs> kindly said uh about my good news so steve how are yeah, you yeah it was very nice you're welcome steve i had to create 30 different accounts to uh get those comments <laughs> uh yeah my week's been my week in stocks has been shy um it's been pretty much much of a muchness for me so um i've probably the account has probably lost about 4k since the turn of the year so it's been another sort of heavy kind of uh, kick in the bollocks but you know to, it, it's it comes with the volatility doesn't it so if you like the green days where you're up 10 15 percent you've got to love the uh the red days when you're you're getting kicked and, and kicked and kicked again so i think it's uh i think it's fine for me i mean it's not volatility is not something that worries me at all really in fact i find myself sat just staring at stuff thinking well i hope it gets a bit cheaper now which we're cheap now but i hope it gets a bit cheaper um, <laughs> but i've done a bit of bit of spending i bought a bit of um um lm L lse from the lse which was a, a, an interesting buy okay. um i'll probably do a bit on that um probably in a future episode when i've got some notes in order um i think it's a really really interesting stock moving forward um i've bought a bit of salesforce and i have well this will be news to paul but i opened a position in netflix shortly after i pitched <laughs> netflix to him after realizing what a good <laughs> stock it was and i've been adding to that all the way down as well so i'm really happy with that position at the moment um so i've took the opportunity to do a bit of a rejig on my portfolio nothing has been sold or anything but i'll uh I'll give you a bit more information on how I'm going to look <laughs> at it now rather than how I was looking at it before, which, you know, might just might be a little bit of food for thought. Just want to sort of go off-piste as well, a bit like Steve did. Um, 
just thanks to everybody who um, donated through our um, uh, coffee link, uh, buy me a coffee or Ko-Fi link. That was really nice. Um, we got a few, uh, just a few extra quids towards that um, software bill, which will really, really help. And um, yeah, just thanks to everybody who uh, you know said they were going to donate and then and then went on and did it. Was really, really nice to see. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. And the t-shirts. Did someone buy a t-shirt as well, or does someone that... bought a t-shirt and somebody bought a hoodie as well? So yeah, it was it was very oh, nice. Oh, very nice, very nice. Thank you so much. And did anyone buy your Gusto box? Yeah, someone has signed up to Gusto. I wasn't going to mention it because they're not <laughs> not sponsoring our show this week. Uh, but yes, someone has signed up to that. Uh, very very good. Oh, let's see. We reach out and people <laughs> people people are very very kind. Thank you so much. So Steve, I'm just in- intrigued. I mean, not about the LSE thing is, is very very intriguing. I'd love to hear your your point of view on that in a different week because uh, I've looked at it myself and I thought, oh, this is this has got a lot of cash going on. Um, but um, have, have you made like these changes to your portfolio for any particular reason, or are you just kind of feeling the shift in the market right now? So no, I've not sold anything. So that's the first thing to do. It's just an organisation in how I look at it. Um, so the the point really was is that I used to split my portfolio up into core and into growth, so I could really see the stocks that I considered to be the core of my portfolio versus how they were performing against the growth. And I was actually finding that more and more useless as it went on because they they were slipping. Obviously, they were, they've been slipping in value. The growth area has been slipping quite sort of consistently for since probably the beginning of November, and it was very difficult to lose track of how much you'd actually shoveled into the growth section because that number was ever decreasing. So um, what I've done is I've basically combined them into two areas, which is the portfolio, which is now 28 slices, essentially, 28 positions. And then there's a penalty box. And the penalty box is where I put stocks that I am either not really interesting in, in adding any more to it. They're not positions that I want to you know, continue adding money to, or they are positions that I'm just going to leave them there to let the thesis play out. So there is a few stocks in there that will probably shock you, I would say. I mean, there's a couple <laughs> of new recent additions. There's Stone Co's in there. Um, there's um, the Teladoc is one of the, the, the big companies that I've, I've now dropped into there because that my Teladoc position at cash price is about three and a half grand. And its current value is about seventeen fifty. So realistically, do you want to dump any more money into that? I would say no. It's not that I not don't when think it outweighs your portfolio, sort of thing, where it starts that, to get that's it because it runs the risk at, at some point of being uh, uh, of just being completely, you know, completely overweight. So it's also to helps me stop chasing, you know, chasing chasing green on on something which you know, when the money could be spent better um, elsewhere. So that's really how I've how I've started mm. to split my portfolio up. Yes. So a couple of points from that on me. Um, first of all was the the idea of the penalty box, which I quite like. I'd love it for... We, we, there's been a lot of chatter on Trading 202 Community Forum recently where we've been talking about the improvements that they could make and they've actually given a little hint on some of the improvements they want they're bringing in quite soon uh, one of the things would be nice is just to kind of I've always said it before uh, it'd be very nice if you could like blank out a stock so you just never see it again until you really have to like put a passcode in or something like that and the other one was uh, the sell button the sell button should have 
like a, a scratch off on it or something like that. So a really tough scratch off that takes you like two days to to scratch off uh, this over the cell button so you can press it just to stop you from acting like a fucking dick sometimes and and selling selling stuff off. Um, but like you say, uh, you've not sold anything, which is great because I think um, that's that's very important to avoid selling a lot of the time not not only on your downs but you also sell on your ups and you've you've missed out on a lot because you didn't just let some of the stocks run sometimes um but i i i think uh yeah you've done well there particularly with the beating you've taken on some of those stocks there well i think there's things in there that there's not much point adding more to because there's things like yeah. nanox and things like that if you've built a sizable position in nanox at 30 dollars and the scanner doesn't go through FDA approval, then is, there is there is no money that you could average down to that is a good amount. Hmm. The flip side of that is if if the FDA saw um, approval for the um, multi-source um, arc goes through, then there's no price you could have paid at the moment that will be cheap enough. So mm -hmm. there's not much point adding to that at the moment. So that is, is just in there as like, look, this is a stock I hold, but it's not really something I'm I'm thinking about at the moment because there's so many other things to think about with the 28 other stocks. With Nanox, that money is there. It's spent. It's allocated. That's probably going to boom or bust now. It's a binary event, and we just got to wait for that to play out. When that happens, it's not these. These are not in here to say that these are dead to me. They're in that box now because they're they're in that kind of compartmentalized into these i don't want to think about these at the moment um because mm -hmm. with nanox there really is nothing to think about until the fda approval goes through or doesn't mm. there, there's nothing you can do about it yeah yeah great so i have some other couple of questions on this sort of thing it turns out i have something similar in my head although i haven't explicitly organized my portfolio into this i currently have boston beer company in a penalty box um whilst i wait for my thesis they just had a pretty disastrous couple of quarters that will only be a couple of quarters. Uh, and I've put enough money into those and I could keep putting more and more in and trying to bring that red number into a smaller red number. But like you, I have concerns with tying that much of my portfolio to uh, that company. But a couple of things on the penalty box idea. Is there a kind of maximum number of stocks that can be in the penalty box? I mean, could theoretically it be like either empty or three quarters of your portfolio in the penalty box if the markets went the wrong way, say, or something? But it, it all depends on how you feel about them anymore. Because mm -hmm. if you if you still want to contribute money to a certain just three or four stocks, then then you might only have three or four stocks in your portfolio. But um, not at the moment. I don't think any of the stocks in my main portfolio are uh, are anything that I should be particularly worried about. Even at the rate that they're dropping at the moment, I don't think there's really anything in there. Um, it is just going to be. Basically, multiples will uh, compress as the prices come down. Multiples will compress as earnings come out. Multiples will expand again as the earnings as the earnings go. As as we pretty much all, all would always tell everybody here, the the vast majority of growth over the next ten years um, for the companies that you own will be uh, revenue and profits or revenue and free cash flow. Mm. Um, so there's nothing we can do but wait. But you know, inst my interest is to keep uh, tabs on these twenty eight and. You know, if I end up with 28 in the penalty box, I'll be keeping tabs on five. So I have a kind of green penalty box idea for you as well here for a moment. I was, in just, there's a kind I was of... just going there. Just going So there's a stock there. that I think yeah. all three of us own that I don't think any of us are particularly interested in adding to, um, although it's currently, it's got to be green for all of us, I think, uh, which is legal in general. But I don't mm. think any of us are probably buying it here as opposed to other things that are available. I mean, we're not particularly 
you know, it's not like it's deep red and taking up too much of the portfolio or something. But I'd, I'd be surprised if any of us was seriously thinking, I want to do something with my legal and general shares now, other than just sort of leave them there. And well, look, if it goes down a lot, then I might buy some more. But for the time being, that's staying there. You have a green penalty box. Green penalty box is probably not a bad idea, but it could just go in the penalty box because legal in general mm-hmm. is one of those things that you almost leave on autopilot, isn't it now? Um, I think it's probably about 50% up for me and it still returns about an 8 to 10% dividend on yield on costs. So, yep, same. So um, for me, I, I'm happy to just sit and let that do its thing because realistically with a 10% dividend, so long as it maintains its price and maybe grows a little bit, um, you're getting a decent return out of it. Yeah, gone are the because days the argument. Because the argument against because the argument against the green penalty box would be that I assume you think that these stocks are overvalued or at least you don't want to pay for that price for them. So the argument against that would be why not just sell for the profit? Because I must admit, I have a lot of stocks in here where I'm just looking at them in the green going, oh, I wish I could buy more of that because... But I can't because I'm 42% up on it. I'm 70% up on it. I'm 100% up on it. And I'm kind of going, well, if I average into that and it all crashes one day and I just can't, I know what you mean. I've got a bit of a green, green penalty box. Tyson Foods is one probably in the green penalty box where I'm always waiting to buy a little bit more of it. But it just, yeah, it's just that little bit over. And because with these um, value type stocks, you don't want to overspend. I suppose with growth stocks, it doesn't matter about overspending. You can have a P of a thousand right now. It doesn't matter if it's in 10 years, it's earnings do grow that far. But with value stocks, it, you know where their earnings are going to go. And you're now trying to pay a little bit less for them based on, you know, undesirable news or, or whatever. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I struggle with the green penalty box, but I was going there myself. I was going, uh, hmm. what have you what have you stuck in the green penalty box where you're not buying it right now, but you're just kind of waiting? Is it ASML? That would be ASML, one. ASML I am definitely waiting on, but I don't think I'm as far away from buying it as you guys are. If, uh, if I had money dumped into the portfolio today, I would buy some ASML today. <laughs> I just want to look it up now because Salesforce always also sticks in my head as something like that but yeah asml has come down to that old line where i was looking to to buy it uh still what's the pe on it at the moment it's just ridiculous it's got to be like 70 sure. 80 or something like that i mean the it? reason i'm quite a long um, way from buying it isn't so anything to do with asml it's more just to do with that there are things in front of it in the queue and i i'd probably just rather buy them for the moment at the moment disney's in front of mm. it in the queue Disney's a little higher mm. than I'd like to buy it at at the moment, but Stoneco is ahead of it in the queue. Um, it's not that I would look at someone who bought ASML at these prices and say, what are you doing? I think that's a bad idea. It's just that when I think, well, I can either buy that or I can buy even a bit more Amazon, actually, at these prices, um, <laughs> I, I kind of think to myself, it's pretty much back at where my average is now, for what it's worth, which is um, just shy of uh, 3300 Disney's a good example of that, actually. It's, uh, it's, that's been in my green penalty box for for a good while, and uh, since it had a drop, I'm trying to figure out when I last bought it. I think it was about 140 when it was down in the dip. Uh, 152, I've got down here actually. Uh, mm-hmm. So when that when they dropped down, I kind of went, okay, you know, that's that's it. But why why didn't I see it at $200 or whatever it was, $190 odd dollars. Why didn't I see it at $190 odd dollars and go, okay, I'll sell that for now. And then when it does come back down to $150, I'll buy it. Uh, it's, it's a weird bit of psychology, isn't it? But I think 
overall, you, I think we all agree here that overall you're probably better to hold at all times rather than try and guess when to sell and when to buy. You're just putting too much pressure on yourself. You're basically trading at that point. Um, only sell if there's a far greater opportunity is I think the, the line you guys would go with, I think. I think that's right. I mean, there's a sense in which you could do where this kind of argument of if you're happy holding it, why aren't you selling it eventually leads if you take it to its kind of extreme conclusion is you end up selling everything other than the stock you're the most confident in. Because if you have any two stocks, why would you buy number two over number one? Or why would you be holding number two over number one? This is the kind of uh, Buffett-Munger idea. And they have various reasons why they're not doing that. But um, it's a different game for the likes of us, I think. Trust the, trust the philosophy teacher to argue to absurdity. That would be uh, a, a great way of looking at it. Okay, so let's get on with the game. Uh, we've oh. got Steve W's game today. Mm-hmm. Yes, there it's the game go. that I've designed. It's a very special game uh, this week. This week's game is called Steve, Steve, Steve and Steve, or not Steve. Uh, and it's a special one-player <laughs> game just for Paul this week. Uh, so while Paul was away, Steve and I <laughs> built special one-player games for each other, uh, but Paul never got a turn because he was uh, unwell for most of it. So this week, uh, we're going to find out just how well Paul knows his fellow podcasters. Um, Steve and I Ooh. like to think of ourselves as the UK's Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, by which I mean we mostly survive on uh, sweets, coke and burgers. But how similar are we really? We'll take turns reading out a statement, uh, and Paul, it's your job to decide whether it's about me, uh, whether it's about Steve D., whether it's about both of us or whether it's about neither of us. Um, no <laughs> one to ten thing this week. Since you're doing all the questions, it doesn't really matter. Uh, so, Steve, oh. take it away with question one. Question one. <laughs> the largest holding in my portfolio is Amazon. Ooh. I don't know that one. It's... Uh, I actually, oh no, because I know Steve D it's third in your portfolio because I think I saw you bragging about it on Twitter the other day. <laughs> was it, was it, was it top in your portfolio or was it third? I can't remember. That's annoying. I'm going to go with Steve W. Just me. Oh, now, yeah, you t- I've totally forgot so, about the both. Steve, Steve, it's not Steve about and me, Steve, so that's not right. Steve. <laughs> I'm going to mm. go, it's it's Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it's Steve W. I'm going to go with Steve W. Well, it is top in my portfolio. Steve, is it top in yours? It's not top in mine, it's third. Ah. Very good, Paul, well done. I was very observant on Twitter the other day, I think. Mm. Uh, what are you, Don- mm. Donald Ducarello now? Or Dotterello <laughs> Ducatsand or something like that? Aren't you position hunter on Twitter? Uh, yeah, that's my handle, but I'm actually uh, Dotaldo Ducasama at the moment. <laughs> that's <my> Ducasama. <laughs> and on Discord, I'm the guy from uh, I'm the guy from CNBC who had to do the uh, yeah. the opening stock opening bell today, and he looked terrified. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what well up, Paul? Uh, one from one. Okay, see how you get on with this one then. Um, I have a lower average price on Southern Copper than the other Steve. So this is unlikely to be okay. both of us, you would assume. Yeah. We have the same, then, than say both. neither. But uh, me, Steve, or neither of us, because it's the same. I don't even know if you guys both own it anymore. I feel like you guys sold out of well, it. Well, I'll tell you, we both do still own it. So it is okay. possible for one of us to have a lower price than the other one. 
<laughs> so it'll be about the time when you guys were both discussing it with each other and Steve like the Dioff, <laughs> yeah, yeah it was a long time ago wasn't it you, you guys did really well and it's going to be close you guys are probably only a couple of dollars out if anything but i'm going to go with steve d being on, on the lower side uh well steve do you know roughly what your average is mm, i did message you it was yep. it, is it about 33 dollars <laughs> or something, like, something that? like that and i can yeah. tell you that paul it is not close uh oh because i've been buying it more recently than steve has so uh no. my average is about 43 steve's is significantly lower than mine so you are correct it is indeed steve All D. Right. two out of two lovely steve Ooh. question three the first I like stock... this because it's all about you. Mm-hmm. Sorry. The first stock <laughs> I bought was Lloyd's. Because <laughs> that could be true of either of you. Or both of you. Wow. That could be true of both of you. It's like it's like the first first stop for everyone is Lloyd's, <laughs> isn't it? Because I think you because that I think what you bank, do. It's fifteen p. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, right? yeah exactly. Exactly. Fifteen p is cheap. Oh my god! You, you know, you you type in stocks on Google, the first thing that comes up will be a Motley Fool article that she's auto processed. <laughs> It'll Rupert say, Haggis uh, this generator, back. why I'm buying, why I'm not buying, why I'm skipping, <laughs> why I like the dividend of. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I, you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to say both just for... Wow. Yeah, I'm going to say both. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be a coincidence? Steve, what was the first stock you bought? It was Lloyd's Bank. Was it? The first stock <laughs> I bought was in fact Lloyd's Bank. Uh... <laughs> Incredible stuff. I mean, we didn't know this until we came <laughs> to write this game. Uh, I asked Steve what the it, first thing he bought was, and I had to scroll back through my free trade account. And it's exactly what Steve said. You look at the thing and you're like, oh, I can have a share in this massive bank thing for 15p. And that, that's basically as far as the thinking goes. Yeah, you that's, buy that's about British five psychology, shares. mate. By five shares, you think I'm getting a 6% <laughs> dividend, and then the dividend comes through, and you're like, whoa, hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> that's like 4p. <laughs> <laughs> that's it that that's british investing in psychology for you definitely mm. yep none of this i do i'd act like warren buffett and buy lloyd's bank or any of that stuff no he was when i started it was just like this one. <laughs> oh man everyone goes expe- through it everyone goes through it. not expect paul to get that okay let's try this then <laughs> uh he does listen when we tell him stuff and he listens when we don't tell him stuff because we've never mentioned that before okay how about this then paul uh i once owned city group more banking questions for you. Uh, see, see, now it's just the psychology of you guys. I, you, you must be pointing me at Steve W on this one because he's the bank guy. But Steve D, you'd have had a, you'd have had a dirty streak in you as well. You, <laughs> you had a, you had your Canadian bank streak in you, but you'd have had your, you'd have had your uh, dirty US bank streak as well. I'm going to stick, though. I'm going to stick with Steve W. I'm going to go down the, the, the correct route there. Mm. I've not owned Citigroup ever. Okay. Uh, not this one. How about you, Steve? You, I mean, Paul is right. You had your run with the Canadian banks. Oh, is it neither? Yeah, prior to, um, prior to owning the Canadian banks and prior to buying JP Morgan, my first foray into American banking was with Citigroup. 
Mm. And it was just and it was been... just around the time of the corona crash. Mm. And the biggest problem I found with Citigroup at post-corona, and this was before stimulus had started, is that they had a lot of consumer debt, a lot of credit card debt. And I was a bit worried, and obviously pre-stimulus, uh, pre um, just how that was going to get paid. So, unfortunately, Paul... All that one. Was that yeah, a well, Warren, like... a sort of Warren Buffett follow? Was it, or was it like a? Uh, not really, but they they just. No. You'll find when you look into Citigroup, and Steve is finding it now. They're a very, very well-run bank. For all the uh, the outward mistakes that you hear of, they're <laughs> they, they're a, they're a very good bank. And uh, just on this occasion, uh, I just didn't feel like it was the it was a great move to stay in. And it turned out that it probably would have been a decent move to stick with. But there you go. I don't know. It's yeah. drastically underperformed the last year. It's the real laggard of last year's banks if you just look at stock price for the moment. And it's tended to underperform in terms of returns on equity as well. Buffett, I don't think, owns them. I think they tend to be much more globally diversified and he likes American things. Um, so Citigroup mm. doesn't usually make his kind of cut, I think. Mm. Steve, you ready for enough. five, Paul? Let's go for it. I own more shares in Monza than the other Steve. Didn't necessarily oh, mean every yeah, question I've... to be about banks, to be honest, but, you know, <laughs> the things that we're interested <laughs> yeah. in. Oh, interesting. You I, you definitely both own Monza because you've both been in that crowdfunding thing. We do. Um, though, I feel like Steve G dabbles more in the crowdfund space. So I'm going to go with Steve D on this one. Couldn't tell you why, though. How many do you own, Steve? I own 250 shares of Monzo. Mm. I own a similar amount, but without the 200 in front. So just the 50 shares for me. <laughs> Ding! Yeah, £14.41 or £14.44, I think it was, at recent... Uh... Recent valuation, so yep. thank you, Tencent. This is a fun game. Mm. I'm, a, I'm learning a lot about you guys. Unfortunately, though, you probably couldn't play this with me because everybody knows absolutely everything about me within that. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think you can play this. You can go really deep and go to my sexual fantasies or something like that, but um, hmm. yeah, that's about as far as you get. <laughs> Sorry, that was a <laughs> stupid joke. <laughs> Excellent. Question oh, six. God. <laughs> yeah. Move on, move on. <laughs> move it on. Who am I? My most recent sexual fantasy was about... No. Um... <laughs> oh, God. Okay, carry on. Question six. <laughs> I have more crowdfunding investments, though not necessarily more money in those investments, just investments by number, than the other Steve. Uh, I'm going to go with Steve Z again because he's in stupid amounts of stuff he was even in free trade recently i think he just got out of that didn't you so uh so, you've you've got like I, I think i've counted five with steve d and i just haven't heard anything from steve w so i'm gonna go with steve d well i do own more than five uh i own about seven yeah. or so but steve owns Not very good i think i own about 30 odd do i wow okay yeah. There you go, then. I think I, I, I calculated them and sent them to Steve, but I, I also seem to have forgotten all the answers to all the questions. But I, I, I saw the answer as well, but it was significantly higher than seven. So uh, you are correct, Paul. You guys dabbling your VC stuff. It's uh, risky business, risky business. Mm. Okay, Steve. 
Um, so, my portfolio has a higher dividend yield than the other Steve's. Oh, this has got to be a trick question. This has got to be a trick question. Because the assumption, the broad assumption right now would be that Steve W, because he invests in a lot of value and a lot of cash flow, that that would be the higher yield. But you're sort of out of Kellogg's and stuff like that. Are you out of Kellogg's at the minute? Have you, have I'm you currently out of Kellogg's. Yep, don't factor that into your considerations. Yeah, yeah. I believe Steve is also out of <laughs> Kellogg's at the moment, though. I am, yes, I'm on brand flakes at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but it just gives, a, <laughs> it, it, give, it gives an idea of the shift. <laughs> it gives an idea of the shift that's gone in, on in your mindset recently. So, and, and I think this is a uh, trick question because... The assumption is that Steve D is way more growth, but he's got a very solid core port, core high cash flow port, uh, port, part of his portfolio. So I'm going to go with Steve D and try and play your mind games here. Yep, good mind game. Uh, so the yield on my portfolio is about 1.8% when I worked it out, uh, very roughly. Um, mine's about 0.4, I think. Ah, Mm. All right then, good. I was good surprised. Game. I didn't realise Steve owned anything that paid a dividend apart from Next Era, but uh, Crystal Myers, Legal and General, Legal and General, Southern Copper, yeah, Southern Copper, Southern Copper. He's actually got quite a lot. He's got a lot in his core core area of his portfolio. Yeah, he's yeah. also just got so much stuff that doesn't pay a dividend, though that his yield is significantly lower if you were to buy his entire yeah, portfolio. Yeah, so the the last thing I did think about, which I didn't describe, was uh, that. Because he's got so much money in certain non-profitable growth stocks, he would have a a, a lower yield on that mm-hmm. in total, I guess. Uh, you but are yeah. right yeah. in thinking that I've currently moved myself out of Kellogg's for the moment. That investment went into Berkshire Hathaway, <laughs> though, so it wasn't a million miles away from the uh, sort of stuff that you might expect me to be doing. There wasn't. I didn't sell the whole thing and dump it into um, Stoneco. Uh, I, I wasted other money on that instead. But <laughs> <laughs> try too. this one. Uh, Paul, then. Um, I got Steve to check this the other day for me. Um, and by the other day, I mean shortly before this podcast. But I'm currently beating David Gardner in our five stock sampler game. Me, Steve, or Ooh. both? Um, oh, ah, you guys were talking about this the other week, and I wasn't listening. And Never mind the other week. Annoying. I mean, we've had an interesting week so far. Uh, of course. Um, uh, what have you had one stock i know david garner had one stock in the green that was doing really well i think uh and i won't go into too much detail because i can't remember it like accurately but i'm gonna go with steve w as ahead uh we're both ahead of gardner or just me just steve w Okay, I don't know. Uh, you'll have to ask Steve. <laughs> um, so I've got the updated figures. I got them just I'm as we came you'll both online. Be ahead. You'll both be ahead. Uh, so he's he's doing like, shit. David Gardner <laughs> is down 24.1%. Oh, I hope we're winning. Um, <laughs> Steve D is down 4.1%, but winning Ooh. in a weird fashion is Steve W down 3.7%. Oh, well so, done, guys. I was aware I'd gone back this week, but yeah. Beating the goat. Beating the goat. Mm. Uh, Temporarily. Temporarily. (laughs) That goat's coming back to ram its horns, probably. (laughs) Axon thingy thingy is is coming to get us. 
Yeah. How is it? Hey. Oh. Zillow's going to zero. Not, not going to matter. Yeah, and Peloton <laughs> might be going with it. <laughs> All right, Steve. Uh, so, I currently earn more corporate bonds than the other Steve. It's probably not oh, going to be both, I'll be honest, Paul. Uh, so if neither of us owns any, say neither. Uh, right, okay. I've got about neither, but... Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. So, I can't see why you'd be in bonds, Steve D. But Steve W was looking at him last week. He was... He was but I don't think you pulled the trigger. I think you're neither. I, I think you're neither. Clue is 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 going to sway me here. So we'll go with neither. Mm-hmm. Steve, how many corporate bonds do you own, or how many companies do you own corporate bonds in? Let's say. So presently, I own zero corporate bonds, but I did own corporate bonds or corporate debt on centre parks um, as they went into the. Uh, as they went into the COVID crisis, but I, I sold all that debt off, so I currently own, own zero. Mm. I realise I've now fucked up the last question slightly on this. I own one, uh, for what it's <laughs> worth. I will not tell you what that is yet, though. I'll come back to it uh, in a moment, because here's a final question for you for the moment. Mm. Which of us is this true of? Earlier this week, I bought bonds in Netflix. Not stock, <laughs> but bonds. Uh, as in, go, uh, as in like, as in their debt yield. Yeah, their debt yield was great, and it's classed as junk. So, yeah. what are you getting? Eleven percent, eleven, twelve percent yield on that? Well, I'd be telling. I'm going to give that away. Oh. Uh, basically, it's me or neither. Really? Then on this one, uh, Steve has pretty much told you he didn't <laughs> do that this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so I'm trying to add some sort of colour to this mm. because it's just like, well, guys, you just told me, um, but. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a, yeah, that was one I've I looked at in the past, and Netflix is a mm, interesting bond. Uh, I I pointed out a few months ago in one of my videos that they're junk bond status at the moment. I don't know why. I couldn't. I didn't. You might have a bit of color on that, but yeah, interesting. So Steve W. Uh, it's not. It's neither. <laughs> Um, oh right, oh, you wanker! <laughs> I do not own uh, any kind of corporate bonds in Netflix. But here's what I will say: if I mm. did, I would buy them through a company called Wise Alpha. Because this week, our show is not sponsored by Wise Alpha. Uh, Wise Alpha allows retail investors like me, Paul, and Steve the opportunity to invest in corporate bonds. Uh, they have all kinds of secured and unsecured bond offerings from companies like Kraft Heinz, Netflix, and Goldman Sachs. Do you expect me to invest? No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to return between 3 and 5% and perform about in line with inflation. If working out how much cash a business is going to produce between now and Judgment Day, discounting it back at the proper rate and factoring in a margin of safety sounds like a lot of work, Wise Alpha is here to give you a chance to still invest by buying bonds and then just hoping to God the company doesn't go bankrupt. Buying bonds is different to buying stocks, but Wise Alpha has a quiz to make sure you understand the risk associated with your investments. And it's a pretty thorough quiz. First time I took it, I failed. Fortunately, if you do fail, they let you take it again immediately. So I did that, and I failed again. <laughs> but if you know more than me about bond investing, which is apparently not that hard, and you would like to diversify some of your risk away from stocks, then check out wisealpha.com. End of non-advert. <laughs> I, I find these, uh, these, these ad reads that you've got, they're hilarious. I love them. Absolutely well, love them. If you like these uh, these ad reads, not these wise alphas, these ad reads that I'm currently putting together, <laughs> I have a proposition for you, listeners. Um, 
I'm going to do these once a month uh, because they take me between 10 and 15 minutes and that's quite a lot of my day while I'm awake. Uh, but if our show reaches, or from the point that our show reaches our magic number of subscribers that we need to get monetized, I will write one a week to the end of the year. So if we get there by the end of this week, I will write reading adverts for non-things until the end of the damn year. If we do it in Dece the second week in December, I'll write three more. Uh, but I will go at a rate of one a month until then. If you like them, sign up and let's have them. Can we do a... Can we do a thing where the <laughs> where the listeners maybe put a comment down for a thing that you've got to write an advert about so maybe what maybe someone in the comments below can write i want an advert about penguins and uh steve <laughs> then at the end of the month has to write an ad read about penguins and why they're so good and try to sell you them <laughs> I will have a try. Um, yeah, yeah, write in with anything you would like me to try and advertise. I will point out I do have one more ad read written in for uh, February, which I will do next. But after that, I'm, I'm very open to trying to non-advertise uh, anything. Oh, by the way, if any actual advertisers show up, then I'll stop doing them as well. But um, yeah, that seems unlikely. Uh, I think I think I'll write on the uh, write in the comments something like. Um... Plastic wrap for uh, Teslas to stop people from dipping their balls on your dashboard or something like that. <laughs> that might be a good... Need good, a plastic uh, wrap to stop the paint falling off it. <laughs> Excellent. Get commenting, yep. Yeah. Um, that won't be the next one, but it might be the one after. Okay, have you have you got much information on bonds right now? Can we have a quick chat about bonds because I'm kind of interested in in what you've what you've bought now and and why is Alpha in, uh, as a platform? So I have only bought one bond, and to be honest, the reason I own this bond, it's actually coming up to expiry in I think about two years' time, and it's a five-year bond. So it's pretty much the first actual kind of bit of investing I made, and it wasn't through Wise Alpha; it was through uh, Crowdcube, which, uh, as you know, is a kind of crowdfunding platform, and occasionally companies do have bond offerings on there. I think I've only seen this one, but what I have is a bond in Brewdog, which is the kind of UK uh, pub chain brewing company. You've probably seen their stuff in supermarkets as well. Uh, that pays about 6%. Entertainingly, it pays 1% uh, in beer and 5% in cash on my um, 500 quid uh, investment. Uh, so I get that every year. And at the time I bought it, it was basically driven by my kind of same investing thinking that got me into stocks, which is there has to be a way to do better than sort of half a percent or so. And that was where I settled. Yeah, I'm just having a quick look now at the Netflix uh, notes, and I'm seeing that's about four percent yield at the moment. I'm sure it yielded very, it very was high at the absolute eight low. And 11. Yeah, yeah, between well, a couple of years ago when Netflix weren't generating any uh, free cash, it was uh, it was it was a hell of a lot higher. But that was because a lot of people didn't see Netflix as ever having a path to profitability. So. Um, yeah, I, I seem to remember a couple of years ago, probably at the start of Corona, actually, um, the yields on it were so high. And I was thinking, ooh, because I'm sure we had a discussion about it. We had a discussion about, okay, so why, if we're dividend, if I'm a dividend investor, why wouldn't I just go for Netflix yields? Because I'm yep. sure it was like 11, 11% or something like that. And then we discussed the risk, which is a nice segue into the risks of bonds. So can you just give a very small, we didn't expect to do this, but can you give a very small I uh, run down of the risks with bonds. So here's why I think people who are attracted in a certain kind of way to dividend stocks should be interested in bonds. I mean, if your primary interest in something is how much cash is it going to return to you? In the case of a bond, 
Um, it's not up to the company. It's not up to their discretion to say, we don't think we're going to pay a dividend. You can't cut your bond. Uh, you can't lower your bond payment. That's basically agreed. And if the company goes bankrupt, you have an earlier call on anything than the um, shareholders do. So it, in some ways, it makes them easier to evaluate. All you need to kind of ask yourself with some degree of confidence is, is this damn company going bust? And if the answer is no, uh, and a lot of people, when we kind of chat with them about particularly stuff like IAG Group uh, or something like that, their answer is, well, look, it's government backed. It can't go broke. OK, it doesn't necessarily have to go broke to be a terrible investment in terms of producing cash flows, if that's the way you think about things. But in the case of uh, bond investing, you say, look, here's my return. Here's what I'm laying out. One of two things happens. Uh, this company goes so bust that it can't pay its uh, bond offerings back or um, I get paid. Uh, and I can tell you exactly how much I'm going to get paid. I mean, it might be the case that it's hard to get a decent return on that, especially in a low interest rate environment, because uh, as the value of interest rates goes down, the yield on bonds goes down and you do take on risk because companies that are producing high yields tend to involve kind of reaching one way or another. Um, but there's something to bond investing, I think, if you're a kind of income minded uh, investor and just want to say, look, Here's the, a way of getting knowing what I'm going to get in terms of my kind of payout. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's, um, and obviously, the riskier you go, the higher the yield. So, like we were saying want... earlier with Netflix, when um, there was, you know, when there was a, a not a high chance, but I think there was just a general feeling that Netflix wasn't a very profitable company. I'd be very interested to see something like Spotify right now, uh, see what their convertible, um, sorry, what their corporate bonds are at the moment, um, because that'd be an interesting one to see. And obviously, the more junk you go, the higher the yield, the more you get paid. So you can get paid, you know, three, four, five percent, and in the real risky stuff, you can get eleven, twelve to fifteen percent. But your risk, like you say. Uh, is if it's going bankrupt and obviously they can call these call these bonds as well so they get cut short so you have to go out and find um find a elsewhere for your money to go if they decide to pay off their debt early or something like that uh steve were you going to say something just then yeah i was just going to say you, you also really one of the things we've kind of skipped over is you'd also want a, a low inflation environment as well um mm -hmm. for investing in corporate debt because the rates are usually set around sort of five or six percent for good stuff if the inflation's at five percent essentially your money's sat doing doing nothing that's where you hear the phrase uh some some reasonably high debt companies quite like a bit of inflation because it allows them to inflate the debt away yeah. i makes the makes the debt cheaper for them without actually them having to do anything and and that's one of the reasons why you should probably not the best time to go looking at corporate debt with the intention to buy it but not a bad time to just go and have a little look around and see what's there i think uh we should get one of these um income driven investors on here one day we we'll have to reach out to anybody who's got a good knowledge of uh, bonds and income investing, which would be be good to have you on and have a really good discussion about it. Because mm. uh, it, it, I must admit, I'm not strong in it. I did a couple of days on AT and T's debt and thought, okay, what's the chances of this? And they've got they've got bonds until 2096. Some of them have rates of like 0.3 percent, and it's just absolutely pointless owning them whatsoever. Uh, but if you and and that's a that's a company that in the stock market world, a lot of people feel there's a risk there um but on on something like netflix where people think there's no risk whatsoever uh you've got 
quite sky high corporate bond uh, yields as well so it's, it's it's an odd one it's an odd odd world that doesn't get a lot of attention or enough attention sometimes so on the discord we've got a couple of guys who own uh some preferred shares in stuff uh, which are a kind of halfway house between um a bond and the kind of common stocks that we generally trade in uh or, or trade and invest in i guess so with those, you have a kind of fixed dividend on those, and that dividend gets paid first, so you get the kind of priority treatment of a bondholder, but you also get the kind of loss of upside of the kind of common stockholders. That dividend doesn't get raised in the same way that a bond payment doesn't get raised. I mean, so when, Paul, you're the kind of the main dividend enthusiast out of us, I guess, you're looking for companies where their earnings going to grow, that dividend's going to go up, uh, basically. That doesn't happen on preferred stocks, and it doesn't happen in uh, a bond issuance either, basically. So the amount is kind of written on it, and that's what it is. It won't go down, that's true. It also won't go up. Uh, so most of us who are kind of looking to invest, you know, we're, we're looking for things that are, are going to grow and going to appreciate and so on, and a bond won't do that. A bond won't go down, but it won't go up either. And um, the nearest I've seen on the Discord to people being kind of genuinely interested in that is some people are in kind of common, uh, sorry, preferred stocks rather than kind of common ones. Yeah, well, um, that is very, uh, that was very unexpected, but we just did about 40 minutes on bonds <laughs> <laughs> with, with absolutely no planning whatsoever. So yeah. uh, that's, that's, that's very interesting. Um, <laughs> what do you want to do next? Or do you just want to end it? Let's keep talking uh, <laughs> about bonds for a moment, Paul. Can we talk about Fed bonds? Oh yes, of course. Sorry, the federal news. Yeah, of course, of course. That's what we'll, that's what we'll finish on. We'll, we'll and we'll save um, yep. save your thing for for next week. Good. Um, but yeah, Fed. Okay, so the so okay, so yeah, going on to bonds, we'll talk about uh, the the Federal Reserve and what's been going on with them and the sneaky little details that we've found in their minutes at the moment um, that's caused the entire market to to have a hissy fit. Uh, who wants to explain that one? I like the way you started that, Paul, with the sneaky little details that we've found in their minutes, as if any of us three has seen the minutes and broke that news to the market. And the market went, what? Uh, you must be kidding me. They said, <laughs> um, OK, so the December Fed meeting where the uh, rate hikes were announced and the Fed's general plan for tapering and slowing down the economy a little bit and becoming generally more hawkish, more on that word later. Uh, the minutes from that meeting have been released lately, and um, they were released on Wednesday, and the market had, uh, I guess what we might call a kind of smallish, briefish panic in a certain way. A lot of stuff went down, particularly a lot of the kind of stuff that trades on very high multiples, has most of its earnings out in the future, is really looking for fast growth, that kind of thing. Um, and there's a couple of things that came out in the minutes there that sort of made things... Well, they didn't seem to make it into the kind of Powell, uh, Powell report on the uh, conference that we heard about. So effectively, the plan is to for the Fed to do two things. Number one is reduce its balance sheet. Uh, and number two is hike rates. These are two ways in which the Fed can effectively more or less stop printing money and uh, throwing it all at companies left and right. So uh, rate hikes we've already heard about. Uh, they're going to be three of them this year, or at least three that are announced. Although last I heard, the market is now suddenly pr uh, pricing a 40% um, expectancy on a fourth one in December, um, which is not scheduled, and the market doesn't like surprises in general. Uh, and the other thing is to do with reducing the Fed's balance sheet, which basically means throughout this pandemic, the Fed has been offering liquidity by buying, yup, our favourite thing for this podcast, bonds. 
Uh, so corporations <laughs> that need money have been effectively able to just produce bonds at the relevant interest rates and the Fed will buy them. So you can get money by offering debt and it's pretty much guaranteed to be sold one way or another. Uh, and the Fed therefore has expanded its balance sheet by now holding loads and loads of assets in the form of bonds to about nine trillion. And they have a plan that involves reducing that. There are effectively two ways that they can do it. And one of them, well, both of them kind of create pressure, downward pressure on markets, both bond markets and stock markets. Here's option one. They could sell some of the bonds that they have. They could basically dump them onto the bond market. What happens when you start selling things and dump it on a market? Uh, you increase supply. Demand stays the same. Prices go down. So as the prices of bonds go down, they become more attractive to buy. So money goes out of equities into bonds. So the stock market starts coming down as well, effectively. So the Fed's selling off bonds and reducing its balance sheet in that way would likely create downward pressure on stocks. Uh, the other thing they can do is just let the bonds expire, which is much more gradual. So bonds pay you a certain amount until a certain date and then you get your kind of money back. The Fed could just wait it out um, and uh, wait until those bonds expire, collect their interest payments and then just get the money back and then just leave it, leaving money out of the system, the kind of money that's been pumped in. That would be the slow way of doing it, that second way. The first way would be the faster way of reducing the balance sheet. Uh, and a fast way of reducing the balance sheet will make money flow out of stocks faster. And that was apparently something that certain officials during that Fed meeting, the minutes reveal, were quite keen on reducing the balance sheet uh, quicker rather than slower uh, and at a faster pace. There is a certain kind of weirdness to this that we'll come back to in a little bit. But that's the kind of basic overview in terms of what I've got. So I'll flip it over to you guys because I'm talking too much at the moment. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, let's um, let's start with some of the basic stuff because I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos recently. I decided to have a look at all the crash videos or the crash of gunmen videos that's been going on, and I'll tell you what: for the past year, we've been having the same conversation. We've been having the same conversation that one day the market's going to crash, and it's likely to be because of Fed rate rises. And I have never, at all heard the terms dovish and hawkish in in that entire year and now just in this week everyone's using the terms dovish and hawkish like it was the like it like they only just heard about it yesterday and the, it all started because cnbc started talking about dovism and hawkishism and um now every fucking YouTuber in the world is saying it and it's like they don't understand it or they never heard about it until last week. And even I think on the Discord, we've been hearing a lot of hawkish dovish talking and no one has used that those terms, not since I started in the two years that I've been started. So let's let's talk about it because the first I've heard of it as well. Uh, so what's dovishness and what's hawkishness? So bit of basic terminology then so um dovish is um well so hawkish is generally more aggressive than dovish hawk is a more aggressive bird than a dove so it's generally the way to think about it. in teen titans on netflix and uh, dc <laughs> comments uh, hawk is the one who always runs in battle dove's the one who has a bit of a think about it so and that gives you two other new phrases uh well one that you'll have heard a lot which is quantitative uh, quantitative easing and there's also a, a tightening version of it as well, so QT, QE. Um, so yeah, that, that's really the, the difference. Is that if you, the, the Fed were going to let the bonds expire, you would you would describe that as being dovish because that is you know just letting things um, mature and letting things expire in, in due course. 
hawkish would mean that they're looking to dump those bonds on the market and just get rid of them, deleverage their balance sheet somewhat, and, um, and that would cause more of a scare. The, the market is generally priced in for the uh, the rate risks based on there being a dovish uh, Fed. And now there is the threat of a hawkish Fed. Um, that's just adding a little bit of extra fear to the market. That's the theory. I mean, nobody really knows why anything's going down, but that's the thing that you can tie your head to at the moment. That's <laughs> the thing that CNBC are going to tell you at the end of the day, at the close on Friday. It was because of the hawkish uh, Fed minutes. But the, the realistic nature of actually reading those minutes is nothing was really decided. They kind of voted on a lot of stuff that we all knew about, and nothing has changed. Um, mm -hmm. It's just the market is very forward-looking. We know that, but also reacts on short-term news and um, and things that shock it. And this seems to have shocked it, but I can't put my finger on why. Yeah, you're right, Steve. This is news that kind of isn't really news. This is only the minutes of that meeting, of course, uh, which tells you basically what was discussed. So uh, the Powell conference gives you the official kind of Fed line uh, and the kind of all things considered final view on stuff. The minutes tell you kind of how they got there. And it did, well, I think what we're seeing is there's a kind of a sense of, look, different Fed officials have different ideas. And some of them are in favor of doing things a bit quicker. And I think Powell himself did say the kind of economic conditions uh, justify or might justify a faster rate of normalization, which basically means reducing that balance sheet faster. And so the market might now be thinking that there's something like a risk. I say the market like it's a bunch of like it's this kind of thing over and above everybody in it. Um, all the people like us are apparently now thinking um, that this means that they might tighten faster, uh, they might dump the bonds, they might hike rates faster, something along those lines. Any of those things that create downward pressure. So the dovish hawkish thing, when Powell was talking last year about not even thinking about thinking about thinking about tapering, money, money, have more money, yes, we will do whatever it takes and so on and so forth. That was, broadly speaking, a dovish kind of sentiment. Where he's now thinking about, no, no, we need to bring this balance sheet down. We need to increase rates, any of that sort of thing, which will uh, bring money out of the, the kind of system. Uh, that's sort of more hawkish kind of thought. And it looks like there's been a kind of pivot from December from the one to the other. And it's interesting because it is just the minutes. It is basically two people maybe discussing the possibility. And I would have thought that, you know, it, it wouldn't be doing that. They're not doing their job if they haven't at least discussed the possibility of being a bit more aggressive. And in my mind, they were always going to be aggressive, especially when they announced uh, the rate hikes and they were considering, they're now considering a fourth, aren't they next year? So the, in total, it could be a total of 1% raise uh, over the next year. So uh, it's a, it's a possibility, I suppose, but it, it's still, it's, it's nothing certain. Uh, and I guess that's the problem is the uncertainty that it creates is, uh, which is the danger toward the market. And of course it's, this affected cryptocurrencies as well. I don't know. You're, you're more of the altcoin king than I am, Steve D, but, uh, I know that Bitcoin and Ethereum definitely took a bit, bit of a beating on that. You'd expect it to go the other way in cryptocurrency, uh, especially, well, with what they think about Bitcoin, but the I don't know how the altcoins did. How did they? They all went the same. Everything followed Bitcoin down. Okay, yeah, Bitcoin's the the rising tide that lifts all ships, and obviously sinks them as well. Mm. Um, 
that's that's just a touch on cryptocurrency uh with that because it i, I find that quite quite interesting because a lot of the bitcoin people suggest now that bitcoin is a store of value in the, in a way similar to gold and this is another thing that's that reared its head as well what, what i was seeing is i feel like i'm just in this deja vu world and i wonder now if everyone just starts talking about buying gold at the start of every year because they're all worried about what's going to happen over the next year didn't you say that last week uh did i say that last week i don't think sorry, i said that this, last week this... i think i've it's a deja vu oh, joke. God. Oh, God. Dave, uh, I fell for a deja vu joke there. Oh, my God. I was looking at <laughs> buying gold. I have no interest in, in buying gold, but I, I've been sort of toying with the idea of having a safe in the house. And I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going to do it because I've got nothing to put in a safe. But I, <laughs> I really wanted to just have, if I do have a safe, to have some gold in it. But I went and looked mm. at, at gold, and the only thing I could really tolerate purchasing was a like I think it was a gram or something like yeah. that, <laughs> and it ended up yeah. being like a centimeter by a centimeter by like point one of a mil thick or something like that. And I just thought it, it's like Lego gold at that kind of size, isn't it? You just think <laughs> what's I, I just don't get the know, appeal of that whatsoever. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that you've got a painting on your wall. You're going to open it up and you've got... <laughs> you know, you're not even thinking you've got a massive safe. You've just got a miniature safe. You're going to open it up and you've got like six or seven gold bars in there and you shut that up and that's your gold safe. But really, they, they come like little Kinder Buenos, don't they? they they're yeah. so tiny. And the amount of, gold, of money you need to buy even a tiny amount of gold is absolutely crazy. I'm sure I've seen... Uh, You've probably seen the facts as well. There's there's uh, a fact out there that all the gold that's ever been mined could fit into a UK sports hall or something like that. It's yeah. Olympic swimming pool, was it? Something like that? Is oh, it's it Olympic swimming pool. Yeah, it's, it's something like that. And uh, so, and that gives you an idea of how rare gold actually is uh, as well for for anybody who's listening. Um, but yeah, that that was just something that's that's come up recently for me that I noticed is everyone started talking about buying gold again, and you go. Oh my god, this again. I thought we got over this last year, and uh, it definitely went the wrong way for gold uh, last year as well. That's interesting. I'd not heard anyone talking about buying gold, but I did um, unsolicited and of my own kind of volition start uh, looking at gold miners again, and then I had to look at some all-in sustaining costs, and I saw that Kirkland Lake was the lowest, and I just shut my laptop and didn't do anything. <laughs> I saw <sort of laughs> not following that see trap today. Again. <laughs> what did I see today? Oh, I saw um, Dead Inside. He was shilling all the uh, materials <laughs> companies, and he and he spoke to Gold. He said, "He said, oh well, if Gold goes up, then you should be buying gold miners." And I was like, "Oh no, shit, shit, like cheers." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of that was kind of like that was kind of it. And I was like, it just in my head, I was going, "Oh God, talk about gold again." Ugh, Steve D and Steve W are going to be valuing gold companies and Warren Buffett's going to be buying something else and then trying to say he's not really buying gold. He's, it's nothing to do with the price of gold. It's nothing to do with the mining of the gold. And you, no, you go, that, oh, right, that cheers, aberration man. is now incorrected. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but yeah, um, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The the markets are crashing. They're, they're not really crashing. My, I'm pretty sure my portfolio has either stagnated or gone up during this this whole problem. Uh, I, I did put something on Instagram as well. I think Meek Kevin was put out there, oh my God, the stocks are crashing. And it was like, nah, mate, uh, only for some people, the, the stock market's crashing. And um, so what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this Fed news? What are we going to... 
Are you going to change? Same thing we do every week, Paul. Try to take over the world. No, Try to take uh, over the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> same thing we do every week, Paul, which is ignore it and move on. Partly, there's two reasons that I'm going to ignore it and move on. One is that, as anyone who's been listening to the last quarter of an hour of me attempting to make sense of this knows, I don't understand it very well. So I've got no choice but to ignore it. Uh, and the other reason is, from what I do understand of it, I find it very hard to think that there's anything that I really should do. Um, rates being higher, rates being lower, I don't think that's going to make an awful lot of difference to the amount of cash that Amazon is going to produce. Uh, it might do, but I don't think there's anything I can do about that. I don't think uh, moving rates will make Amazon go from being attractive to unattractive uh, for me as an investment. Um, and I think about the amount of cash it will produce and try and discount it back, and you know, I may fail at doing that, but... None of that particularly has anything to do with uh, what the Fed is going to do with rates this year. I mean, I plan on holding this company for kind of ages. And if you think with a, a 10, 20, 30 year time horizon, you probably were expecting to hold it through. I mean, the worst the Fed can do, worst, uh, the most aggressive thing the Fed can do is trigger a recession, basically, uh, and deliberately trigger a recession. But I was thinking I'll hold this for 30 years. Was I expecting to hold it for 30 years and never have a recession? Not really. Um, the idea that the US would just go from growth to growth to growth to growth to growth to growth to growth for 30 years or so was never part of my investing thesis. I figured there'd be good years. I figured there'd be less good years. Uh, my instinct wasn't to try and run around between them, um, partly because I don't know how to, and partly because that's not really how I think about investing. A recession is healthy as well, though, for an, for an economy. Hmm. It's uh, it's part and parcel of the reset and, and rebuild, isn't it? So. Um, the only thing I would be sort of like uh, conscious of is that there's there's midterms coming up um, for for the US, so you you've got to think that um, you know Biden's phone to the Fed will be on saying you know don't ruin this for us, um, and even if um, you know Biden was to lose a lot of seats and uh, and the Republicans were to to make some quite significant gains, um, that all all that does is stagnate the economy further and probably makes decision making even more difficult so um yeah. it just makes it harder to get things put through which at the moment they're struggling to get things through uh congress anyway so uh, and the senate so um i think it's very much a sit and wait and watch kind of economy at the moment uh, i don't really feel like there's a lot you can do to stop it um to be fair it's one of those kind of things where if you was to say to me paul i'm going all cash I mean, I'd call you a coward, but I probably, I probably would think it's not the worst move in the world at the moment. There's just so much uncertainty, but I think for me, it's sustain your seat job. Uh, and, and I'll speak for Steve D there. He's actually saying that there will be a crash right after the midterm elections. Uh, I think that's, I think that was between the lines. That's what he was saying there. But what I will say is, uh, and I think I've spoken about this either on here or in in a video previously that i'm not against going not to cash as such but transferring all my stock wealth as it were to my mortgage i'm not against that in any way right now and i've probably got about a year before i may need to make a decision on that because mm -hmm. i have a help to buy loan maturing probably in the next i think it's in the next year and if the market sentiment out there is still very woolly it's still very iffy i do not know if i'm going to feel comfortable keeping it in the stocks when i could have a risk-free side as it were in, in my mortgage and and paying off my mortgage and essentially 
you know once that once that's done i'm i'm kind of financially free at that point once once it's done so if if i do get to a certain point in stocks and there still hasn't been a recession then i i'm i reserve the right even though i'm very much an advocate of a 30 year you know uh uh, uh investment journey I, I still reserve the right to maybe make a better financial decision or a better psychological financial decision for myself so I'm not saying cash. I don't think I think cash is trash and I, I don't I think it'd be silly to sit in cash right now. But because the risks there don't outweigh the benefit. But in something like a different asset like your mortgage or your home, I think there are there are arguments to quell a bit of risk there. So but, I'm uh, that's not what I'm doing, but it's it's something that I consider. It's all. It all revolves around inflation at the moment. If we weren't talking, if inflation wasn't here, we wouldn't be talking about any of these things. Um, mm. You wouldn't be out of stocks. The Fed wouldn't be talking about quantitative tightening, and um, yeah, we just wouldn't have any of these issues. So I think inflation is going to be key. You could probably tune out everything else that happens this year and just watch, just watch what's happening with inflation. Mm. And that's not just in the US; it's here as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it, we, you made a good point a couple uh, a couple of days ago, either on the Discord or on here, about how inflation isn't necessarily bad inflation right now. It's only really in oil and cars and houses. It's not in our food as much. Uh, it is a little bit, but it's not in those daily essentials. So we might not be feeling it as much just mm. yet because the inflation figure is an overall of how many sectors 17 sectors or, something? or is it 11 I don't, know. I don't know how many sectors it is but um it's a lot and um uh, some of the sectors aren't as inflated as others uh, which we've probably touched on before um one of them is houses and like you say with inflation i have really the choice on this help to buy loan is to either and it has gone up in uh, an incredible amount help to buy is such a bad idea uh help that's a help to buy loan on shared equity not the help to buy iso necessarily uh but help to buy shared equity is probably the worst idea anyone could do because my house in just two months went up about 40 grand which means i owe a lot more on that help to buy loan than i did when i first started and it's not and it I had a whole financial plan for it to like planned out to pay it off. And that is essentially just doubled right there. I know, I know I'm going on a bit, but, um, so now where do I get that money from? Uh, stocks might be the place I have to get that money from. And if interest rates rise, my mortgage payment rises. And yep. again, my risk-free rate, uh, the, the risk to benefit there could lean towards my mortgage. So I have to think about that. Mm -hmm. And you think, and your stocks will go down if your risk-free rate uh, goes up with them, at least in theory, anyway. Uh, poten yeah, potentially. That I, I need to be there first, don't I? I need mm -hmm. to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to have had this thought before the other people have that same thought. Which so is I hear Steve's thought here, which is I wouldn't blame anyone if they went for cash. But what I would say is, don't run to cash because you think it's a default position for when you're scared. Run for cash because you think you see something good in cash and treat it as like a position in your portfolio. So think, okay, I'm going to have 5% in Amazon mm. and 4% in Berkshire Hathaway or wherever you're putting it. Um, and I'm going to keep 4% of my portfolio as cash. That's not to say I'm going to, I mean, if you put it in cash, think about it like buying something for the moment. I mean, you wouldn't buy something and think, sod this, I'm going to keep it two days and then flip it out again. Or maybe you would, but if that's your general approach and do this. If you're thinking long term, 
think that cash is going to be a part of it for a significant amount of time because cash is going to, in relative terms, do well in a certain way. So rather than just running because you're scared. Well, let's come, let's come full circle and, and mm. put it on bonds, maybe even. Uh, so what cash will go down by inflation, so 6%. Mm-hmm. Bonds might only go up by 1%, but also drop in, drop uh, technically drop less in a recession. And uh, a good, I, I've seen a couple of pre, 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 um, 2020 market crash. I saw a good couple of investors who were in bonds at the time. They were, I don't think they were 60, 40, but they, they had about 10% in bonds. And their theory was during that crash, because they knew it was coming, they were going to sell all of those bonds and treat it, you know, take the 10% rather than, than the 20% drop in bonds and switch that all into stocks and effectively only take a 10% hit on the stocks and uh, ju- you're justifying a, a 10% gain in immediately in all in your, all your stocks when you sell bonds into stocks. So interesting, interesting Pete, way. Pete, of, you remember um, that this, this next drop could well be the one where bonds go down significantly and things uh, things follow it. So. Agree. I think bonds are in yeah. trouble first. Yeah, Kathy, Kathy Wood. That's a Kathy Wood theory. There, bonds are in the bubble, right? And that's what that's what the the problem is. Tend towards agreeing with her. Can I say though that I'm I'm since we've come full circle, I, I think I'm proud of us. I feel like we've grown as a podcast here. Uh, I feel like we spent quite a <laughs> while here talking about bonds, which are a complicated thing, and we've only scratched the surface of them. But none of us has yet made a joke about bondage or uh, having your money tied up or taking a beating or or anything like that yet. And I feel comfortable admitting that here because I'm pretty confident no one's listening anymore. <laughs> And on that note, we are going to leave you. So thank you very much for listening to the Playing Footsie podcast. And it's not me that's made a stupid joke at the end for once. Um, uh, thank you very much for listening. And we will see you next week. <laughs> I'm amazed how many people own stocks. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up.